what's up? This is JM, host of the Celebrity Grill podcast on iTunes, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Network. All barbecue and grilling, all the time. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. I'm your program host, Greg Murphy. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you want to get in touch with me tonight, two different ways to do it. It's a phone call, it's an email. If you've been thinking this is the week that you're going to get in touch with the show, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, one of my favorite people to talk live fire cooking with. In general, we can get into the minutiae, we can go macro level, we can go points in between. Certainly never a shortage of opinion, expert take. And everything in between as far as that is concerned as well. She has her own personal blog. She's got her own personal business website. Captain of industry here in the live fire industry. And always enjoy the time we get when we can sit down and do a two-segment first hour like we're going to be doing here in a few short minutes. That is, of course, the creator of the Hardcore Carnivore brand. Jess Priles will be joining me, JessPriles.com, HardcoreCarnivore.com, if you want to check it out before she jumps on with me. That will take up the balance of the first hour. Absolutely. Then we will move to the second hour. The second hour finds the revisit, the refire, the rekindling, whatever live fire pun I can figure to throw out here over the next couple minutes. That is the fastest growing, one of the most popular recurring segments that we have on this show. Of course, I am talking about Doug Scheiding and Steve Ray and John Solberg and David Huff, Tennessee, Texas, Oklahoma, and Michigan, not respectively and not in any general order. It is the Embedded Correspondence segment this month and specifically this week. And boy, do we have a lot to cover. A varying array of topics to all jump in on, weigh in on, rebut, rebut the butt, all that. It's the talk 
and the banter you have come to know and love when the five of us get together and start to trade ideas and thoughts and topics on the live fire barbecue and grilling industry. So that's it. That's the whole show. Two, well, I mean, it's more than two guests, right? It's, uh, I guess, a total of five total guests. One guest will carry the balance of the first hour, that being Jess Pryles. And in the second hour, we will have the embedded correspondence segment, which is everybody's favorite. If you want to jump in, more than happy to have your phone calls and emails, 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Those are your two ways to get in touch with me if you see fit. I will just kind of mix you in, okay? Just jump you right in, front of the line if you want to call. Just be ready. If you call and then you hear the show, it's not like any other normal radio show or whatever show it is that you may or may not listen to where you call in, you have the phone screener, then you're talking about what do you want to talk about? They're typing, and then you're put on hold. You're in a queue. None of that. We don't deal with any of that high techery on this show. Instead, if all of a sudden, if you're calling in, and then all of a sudden you hear the show, rest assured, you are on the air. You just got to wait for me to come to you, but you are ready to go. You're locked and loaded. So don't freak out when you hear the show, and then get nervous, and then all of a sudden. Boom, you're down. Don't do that. Be ready. Call in. When you hear me, you're on the air. I will code you, and then hopefully magic ensues. You never know with a live show. That's why I always say, even though you can get the whole live show in podcast Wednesday, Thursday, come on. Who knows what's going to happen on Tuesday night? Nobody's Nobody has any idea what could happen. Anything could happen. That's why we like to do it live. That's why we do it live. We'll do it live. Okay. That's right, Bill O'Reilly. We do it live. All right, 216-220-0966, Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Are you following me socially? Please do so. If you're not, on Instagram and Twitter at BBQ Central Show, slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook, which is where a lot of you are watching the video feed right now. You can also get the audio-only feed on TuneIn.com. You can also get the video feed over on YouTube. I would suggest, if you're somebody that likes to chat with others, dump Facebook, go on over to YouTube, hit my website, thebbqcentralshow.com, and then click on the Facebook Live button at the very top. You can mix in with all the other folks taking place in the chat role there. I am monitoring the YouTube side. I don't monitor the Facebook side, so don't be offended If I don't answer a question or get right back to you, I'll try to do that after the show concludes. But for now, it is YouTube because that is most user-friendly, as I say, each and every week. Quick reminder about getting in your Barbecue Hall of Fame nominations. We are now just a little less than or a little more than two weeks away from nominations closing. I am asking the loyal centralites to get John Marcus into the Barbecue Hall of Fame this year. So you have to go to, I think it's barbecuehalloffame.com or search for Barbecue Hall of Fame and then click through the uh, nominations process, fill out a bunch of different ballots that you have to go through. Make sure you take the time. I mean, you know, what is it, 10, maybe 15 minutes tops? 
Make sure that you're listing out your reasons why John should be in. I mean, you know John Marcus. You know why he should be in. Just eloquently make that case. Very easy. Uh, Do it tonight while you're listening to the show. That way you're entertained both audibly and you're helping one of a a favorite of mine guests, John Marcus, into the Barbecue Hall. I would love to hear his acceptance speech into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. I can tell you that. So please do me that solid. Again, nominations must be submitted by April 14th, the day before tax day. And I know nobody forgets that, especially me, because I had to pay this year, which I haven't had to pay in years. So thanks for the new tax breaks. More in my pocket, more spending. Yay. If you do follow me socially, you know that I was in Indianapolis this past weekend. And if you are a fan of high-end steakhouses, you know Indianapolis has really one of the most consistently, highly, highly consistent, one of the most consistently, highly, jeez. I mean, it all just sounds bad. It sounds good in my head. It sounds bad when I say it. It has one of the most top-rated steakhouses anywhere in the country. You read it on magazines, you read it in blogs, all that stuff. You go to Illinois Street, and then St. Elmo's is right there. St. Elmo's Steakhouse since 1927. And we brought the whole family in because we had the big volleyball tournament, the Mideast Qualifier, right at the convention center downtown. While we stayed maybe 15 minutes out, we stayed... Uh, in through the afternoon wave on Friday and then had dinner reservations at 9 o'clock. And man, let me tell you something. For as many times as I have been to a steakhouse that has missed expectation, there was a tremendous amount of buildup going into St. Elmo's. I have to admit, by the time we were walking over there, I was pooping myself a little bit because I was hoping that it wasn't going to miss. And let me tell you, when it was all said and done, perhaps the highlight of the week was indeed St. Elmo's. And uh, I'm not even kidding. It was fabulous. Fabulous. No steak went back. All steaks cooked perfectly. My server, Mark, our server, Mark, was absolutely professional and helpful and gregarious. A truly unique and special dining experience. Certainly can get a little expensive. And 60-day dry-age steak for me, so that's been the longest push-out in the dry-age funk factor that I've had so far. I had 45 days at red here locally, but 60 days is currently my furthest out. And it was absolutely delicious. Everything I had hoped for, what I have noticed, though, even at 60 days, I could push out further. I could go probably 70 days, 90 days, maybe get me into that 120. Let's double it up. So we'll be looking for that. If the opportunity should avail itself, I'll go more funk. I'll see where the funk factor for me stops. But once again, thanks to St. Elmo's for a great dining experience. Uh, Not comped, fully comped by me and my wallet. Absolutely spectacular. You gotta go. And the shrimp cocktail, out of this world, melt your face off hot, but really good. All right, folks, let me talk to you about a great new book soon to be released. We are literally a week or so away from the release of this book. How great is it? It premiered on Amazon as the number one new release in the barbecue and grilling section. It's called Grill Seeker, basic training for everyday grilling. Let me tell you a little bit about the author, Matt Eads. From the battlefields of Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Bosnia, to a state-of-the-art outdoor kitchen, Matt Eads is looking to unite people through grilling. 
no matter our race, gender, sexual orientation, cultural upbringing, socioeconomic standing, or political affiliation, cooking over fire brings people together. Differences get set aside. That's why you should order your copy of Grill Seeker, basic training for everyday grilling right now. The focus of Grill Seeker to show readers the gourmet grilling doesn't have to be just a weekend activity. No! Matt's tips and tricks will help you craft amazing meals and memories for your family and friends every night of the week. Memories of the camaraderie that grilling has created for Matt dating all the way back through his teen years and his time through the Marines fuel the desire to spread his passion for outdoor cooking. That's also the reason he started the United by Flame movement on social media under the hashtag United by Flame. Great recipes for you to try, plus easy to execute. These aren't 57-step recipes and you had to have gone to the uh, uh, International Culinary Institute of Culinary Professional Culinary People. Don't forget, join the hashtag United by Flame movement. Head on over to grillseeker.com at the very top of that website above the logo. Click on the United by Flame link and then check out the page. Don't forget, you can send Matt a copy or a photograph of yourself cooking in front of your grill or your barbecue pit or all of those if you want. Get it over to Matt. He'll share it on his page. Then you've officially become a hashtag United by Flame movement member. Again, the hashtag United by Flame, the website grillseeker.com. If you want to order your copy of the book, go to my website, click on the logo, and away you go. Matt Eads and the Grill Seeker will be on next month. And we have Jess Priles coming up out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces. And grilling oils, all of your Butcher Barbecue products, tested on the competition circuit as well as in backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood, the king of your cul-de-sac. Visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. All right, my first guest tonight, a brand ambassador, food blogger, author, appears on TV, of course... The founder of Hardcore Carnivore Brand. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show. Jess Pryles joining me here. Jess, how are you? Okay, all right. I'm a little aggressive. What can I tell you? Jess, how are you? Hey, how are you, Greg? (laughs) I was a little quicker on my intro than I thought I was. I got a little... Phone ringy ding there, but we're all set. How's life? Okay. Life is great. Life is busy. Life is constantly hustling. I love it. Do, because uh, I don't remember, I think the last time you weren't, but do we have congratulations in order for being engaged? Uh, yeah, but we have more congratulations in order on being a business owner. Yes. That's what we're here to talk about. That's right. <laughs> hey, have you ever, I just did a open on my. New found. I mean, so I 15 years ago, I was in Indian. Have you ever been to Indianapolis by chance? 
I've never, no, I've never been. So 15 years ago, I was there for business, you know, young punk back then. And the CEO of that company took me to St. Elmo's and I almost remembered it being great. And then this past weekend we were in for volleyball tournament and I was like, we got to go back. I got to see what it was all about. And it was absolutely tremendous. So I don't want to bore you again with the story, especially if you haven't been there, but do you find that it's, you know, hit and miss a lot with some of these bigger steakhouses where expectation continues to build and build? I mean, in my case, it was well over a week or two when we made reservations. Then you're just constantly looking forward to it. And the buildup could be a little bit better than what you actually get. I, I, I can see how that would be a problem, but I haven't had that problem so far. Like most of the places that I think have a great reputation, you can kind of you you kind of figure out. So um, there are places that you just know are like world-class food joints. And then there are places that I, I think you can kind of get an inkling usually when they're resting on reputation, if you will, and you just enjoy it for what it is, you know? Jess Pryles joining me here on the show, JessPryles.com, HardcoreCarnivore.com, at Jess Pryles, uh, handles on all the social media as well. Um, I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time on this, but uh, about a year ago, we sat down at NBBQA. We did a, a big interview about dry-aged meat, and you had just released that huge article. And I just wanted to touch base, you know, a year later and just get a feel from your aspect on, do you think that dry-aging is still a thing, a movement? People want to continue to learn more and more about it, or is it leveled off in your opinion? I mean, it's still obviously going to be around, but do you think it still has the momentum that it did? Yeah, I think it, I think it may have slowed down just a tad in terms of, I guess what I would call the recklessness of it. So people not really understanding what dry aging is and therefore how to do it properly. Um, I'm still seeing people certainly interested in eating it, um, and there are people who have maybe even decided for themselves, you know what, that's just more expensive, um, a, a process that I want to get into. But thank you for explaining it. Um, but it's still certainly as popular as ever in terms of like what we want to eat as hardcore carnivores. You know, it's a, it's a delicacy. I thought for sure I was going to get a whole situation and start doing it in my house. And then the biggest detractor, which yeah, is obviously... Yeah, we talked about that I know. briefly, right? I mean, dude, I, I can't wait. Like, I want it now. I'm that guy when it comes to dry aging, <laughs> I guess. I can't make that. 60 day and 90 and 120. I mean, everything sounds great. I'm going to get everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you still have to make that time investment of getting the piece of beef in there and then letting it do its thing. You do. And I think one of the things that's quite deterrent for a lot of people is not just the time investment, obviously, and the initial investment in equipment, but when you actually go to buy a primal, like the size of which is required to go in these fridges, you're like, what do you mean I'm buying $400 worth of meat? What do you mean I might then screw that up? What do you mean I might then not trim it correctly? So it's the ongoing investment in a product and, and crossing your fingers that you're not going to mess it up that I think is the biggest hurdle for most folks. Yeah, no doubt about it. Certainly the biggest one for me. We're talking with Jess Pryles. Uh, Jess, you know, you've had kind of a, let's say, running dialogue recently that deals with some of the folks on social media, influencers or whatever you want to call them, showing off prime or better cuts of beef. But look, I mean, we know there's many other grades available. Is this a trend that you would like to see 
not go away, but at least, I guess in other words, would you like to see select and choice and certified Angus and all these different cuts be uh, encouraged and shown in, in a lot of these posts as well? Because not everybody has access or the means to get the high-end stuff. So I feel like it's, you know, there's a whole phenomenon they talk about on social media where if you look at, like, lifestyle influencers, people like, you're not always that happy. You're not always that beautiful. You didn't always just wake up like this. You know, that we're seeing a really edited version of somebody's life that suggests that everything is rosy. And I think we're seeing, seeing the same thing in terms of meat on Instagram. Um and it's funny because Walter the Butcher, who's at Prime and Proper in Detroit, commented on your post talking about us talking about this tonight. And Walter's somebody who he, for a living, works with extremely high-end meat because totally. that's why you go to a restaurant like that, right? right? Right. But there's this proliferation of, I guess, influencers, wannabe influencers, micro-influencers, and just people who enjoy sharing photos that they're grilling on, on Instagram. And we only see, like, the prime, the marble, the, the very um, luxurious stuff being rewarded, and people automatically assume if it's Wagyu anything, it's better. Um, I like Wagyu products. I personally would probably choose an upper choice or prime steak just for flavor profile. That's, that's what I like personally. So the problem with it is when you're seeing that all the time, prime only represents, depending on the year, 5 to 8% of the entire herd in the United States, which is over 90 million head of cattle. Um, we have a responsibility to some extent to talk about everything else. And also like, let's be real. We're not affording to eat prime every night from a health perspective. You also want to make sure that you're mixing in lean meats as well as the richest sort of uh, deluxe cuts, I guess you would say, or deluxe um, grades. And it's, it's kind of just turning into that thing that they, they talk about with those other influences that I mentioned, where it's a really curated fake look at what really goes on. And that's why it's like, Hey, you know, I'm eating Whataburger tonight guys. And I'm going to tell you about it. Cause it's not, it's not always these, uh, these high end steaks. Like I had, I had tacos tonight, you know, homemade like picadillo with just regular store-bought ground beef, nothing exciting, but delicious. Do you think that the commoner or the lurker on social media does tend to get a little uh, coerced or, uh, of course, is probably a bad word, but um, uh, leveraged in a way to where they see they're associating with great end product being this is what you need to start with. And if, you know, 20 years ago, since you didn't have this access to everything all the time, uh, people were more prone or, or more apt to learn on their own what cut is good and how to make it, and they didn't feel this uh, perceived or or unreal pressure. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a weirdly curated thing. I think if people actually stop to think about it, um, they might you know it's like you hear about oh well I got to get the sheets with the highest thread count or I, you know whenever you delve into an area that you don't really know much about but you've heard something. People don't know why Wagyu is good. They're just like, oh, it's got to be Wagyu. It's got to be Wagyu. It's got to be prime. It's got to be marbled. And yes, like technically speaking, the more marbled and, and Wagyu is always more marbled than, than other breeds, um, the more luxurious that beef. But, but we forget that the Japanese eat that A5. That's the highest grade that you can get <laughs> as like 
three very thin slices to season rice. They're not ordering a 16-ounce, you know, full-blood Wagyu ribeye um, because Americans consume their beef very differently to how the Japanese do. So I do honestly feel like there's a lot of people out there that just assume that's like, you know, gold plating your steak. It's got to be better, right? <laughs> it's gold plated. It's gold. It's better. Do, um, do you get that at all, by the but, way? My daughter just asked me about gold flake right. steak, and I'm like, uh, you know, Maddie, I would oh, really? never do that. Yeah, I'm like, that makes no sense to me. And that's just uh, showing off to show off. Yeah, I feel like it reminds me of like Russell Lee Simmons had a gold-plated toilet in his house or a 24-karat gold toilet, and, <laughs> and it's sort of that same vibe, you know? And again, I, eat, I, I work with some beautiful Wagyu. I work with like Lone Mountain Wagyu, does full-blood stuff. Um, I, I certified Angus beef has a prime category. I'm not hating on it. It is luxurious. It is beautiful, but we don't eat it every day. I personally wouldn't want to eat it every day. And it's just a shame that we can't talk about, you know, the, the 80 plus percent of the other beef that's out there without it, you know, without people being like, Oh, that's not cool enough, you know, but that's the way it works. Right. Internet is, uh, Instagram is aspirational. Jess Pryles joining me here on the show, com and hardcorecarnivore.com if you want to check them out here while we're chatting it up. Let me talk to you about my new obsession. And uh, boy, I felt uh, it seems that my newest confessions always stem when Stephen Reichlin is due up for a visit. And I've had to confess how non robust my palate and food experiences over the course of 44 years <laughs> and always hate doing it to him because obviously his, uh, his, his breadth of experience is very wide and sweeping all over uh, this globe of ours. But I just had lamb uh, three weeks ago, uh, last time I was in Louisville and uh, the owner of uh, pit barrel cooker, uh, Noah Glanville and his wife Noah. had me over for dinner and he's like, You're Hey, awesome. have you ever had the lamb? And I never had it. And so all of a sudden this whole thing was, rocking and rolling and i have to tell you it was one of the most magical pieces it was medium rare it was you know very simply seasoned cooked obviously on the pit barrel tasted great and now i'm totally in love with it so as someone who was obviously had lamb previously uh, to talking with me tonight your thoughts on lamb best cuts uh, best purveyors and, and best ways of prepping and eating so first of all, I have to say you, you lucked out because I've cooked lamb racks on the pit barrel for classes before, and it is one of the best units to cook that cut. Mm -hmm. So um, no one knows what he's doing when it comes to that. So I grew up in Australia. We eat a lot of lamb. It's a primary protein there. And I feel like um, a lot of Americans don't really like it because it's not a very gamey note to it um, and a lot of the American lamb tastes more to me like beef than lamb because they've de-lambed it if you will. Having said that, um, you can get some great Australian lamb at places like Costco and the two most common cuts you're going to find are rack of lamb which is basically the loin. It's the same thing as getting a prime rib for example. It's just the lamb version or the same as a back strap. It's just got the ribs attached and that's going to be um, Hot and fast is the best way to cook that, and you want to try and keep it for sure medium rare. Um, and then you're going to find leg of lamb very commonly as well, either boned or um, deboned or, or um, with the bone in. That's uh, traditionally done as a roast. I've just done a recipe where I've smoked it. 
I got to be honest with you. I do prefer smoked lamb shoulder if you can get it. Mm. You can smoke a lamb shoulder just like treat it just like a pork butt. So you can smoke it to the point where you would let it all break down and then pull it. Um, for me, even though the recipe really, you know, it obviously works for the smoked lamb leg. And I'll, I'm going to post that soon actually coming up to Easter. But what I did is I smoked it chilled it and then cut it into thick steaks the next day mm. and pan seared that as leftovers. And I really feel that especially the leg cut just gets so much more flavor when wow. you get that great kind of sear that Maillard reaction on it. But if you like venison, there's a really, really good chance you'll like lamb. And I definitely encourage you to go out and try it if you haven't yet. Well, now I get to, uh, confess to you here on the show i've never had deer in my life i uh, never had venison uh, just never been like high on the list uh, all right rampy you know lamb you has never come been, down lamb's never been high on the exactly. list either until i had it three weeks ago so but i've and i have been a little uh standoffish because you hear the word gamey thrown around especially with deer lamb just kind of was never on the radar and it didn't mm-hmm. uh, it didn't have any gamey notes but maybe i don't know what the hell gamey is but the lamb was really good, so Maybe. if de- you know if deer is like lamb, then obviously I'm all of a sudden a little bit more open to it before. But I guess the, the yeah. question I'm leading to is if you overshoot on temperature, you said you know definitely want to keep the, the rack of lamb around that medium. Or if you overshoot, do you introduce more gaminess there, or is it just tougher and, and less appealing? Yeah, it's not necessarily an introduction. It's more, uh, I suppose, an enhancement. So that the aromas um, associated with that gaminess sort of get more pronounced. And um, it, it does have a lot to do with overcooking. But it's just, it's such a beautifully tender. I mean, you have to think about it as, as being veal. So lamb, of course, is, um, is, is infant sheep. And there's actually a middle, there's a, there's a little mid, uh, sheep meat we call mutton, lamb is baby sheep. There's a middle uh, bracket called hogget, which is actually done by the dentition of the animal. So we, we used to determine age of the animal by their teeth, how many teeth had come in. So once it gets, it's like, uh, I believe it's their first tooth that's considered a hogget, not a lamb anymore. So, um, yeah, it, it just, it's, it's a meat that benefits far better from, from being um, nice and pink in the middle still. Uh, Just Pryle is joining me here on the show. Let me switch it up here just for a second. I appreciate the lamb thought and uh, my openness to deer now, which I never thought I would actually have. This I'm so proud of you. Hey, I got to expand the palate. We got to learn. Uh, we got to change, adapt, or we just kind of shrink and go away. What the hell mm-hmm. is, and I'm going to say it wrong. I want to show my <laughs> Latin flair here, but I'm going to screw it up. Is it picana or pichana, whatever this uh, this beef is? <laughs> I feel like you know it, but you're giving me an opportunity to shine, and I thank you for it. But it's picanha, oh, okay. which is the Brazilian word for it. And it's a sirloin cap here in the States, a rump cap in Australia, or Britain is what they call it. Um, and it's it's a cap muscle off the hind, uh, from the hind quarter that has a really pronounced fat cap. So if you're ever in a Brazilian um, sort of churrasca-style restaurant, it's the one that looks like a giant Mm-hmm. shape where they kind of put it through the big skewers or the swords um, because they squish the muscle in on itself and then and then skewer it and roast it over live fire cut really thin strips off being that it's from the hindquarter it is 
it does have much more chew to it. It is a little bit less tender um, or tougher than other other cuts. But usually there's a direct correlation when the cut is tougher, there's usually more flavor there. So um, I like smoking it. When I smoke it, I cut the whole fat cap off, which horrifies some people. But underneath the fat cap, and, and there is a recipe on both hardcorecarnivore.com and my site for this, Underneath the fat cap, there's a layer of sinew that shrinks up and gets really tight um, when when you smoke it, and no amount of, of rendering at that lower heat will help that. So I just completely denude it, cover it in hardcore carnivore black, smoke it, and it's it's just incredibly flavorsome. Those Brazilians know where it's at. Is there a certain target internal temp that you're taking it to when you're smoking it? Yeah, so I, I'm going to take that actually to about 140, um, which is considered somewhere between medium rare and medium. Mm-hmm. When it's a tougher cut like that, and I do the same for tri-tip, that's what I want that final temp to be, you need to take it that little bit further. It's still going to be beautifully pink in the middle. It's just going to have a, a little bit more bite through. Um, it, it helps with that perception of tenderness. Is it an against the grain cut, like tri-tip? Obviously, I mean, you got to cut it against uh, yeah. the grain. Same thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to find sirloin cap. Now, I'm a fan of sirloin. Like, if I go to a, just a generic steak restaurant, I will always opt for the sirloin because I find that there mm-hmm. is a lot of flavor there. So it sounds like this is you know following suit. I mean, sirloin cap, right? Yeah. So it's like it's basically one up from that. It's a little cap muscle that sits on top of the sirloin. All right, uh, so we're talking. Yes, that your 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 thought of train of thought was correct. Okay, well, um, we're talking with Jess Priles, JessPriles.com, HardcoreCarnivore.com, at Jess Priles on all the social media handles as well. Can I hold you over for one more segment, Jess? Heck yeah! All right, stand by. We're talking with Jess Priles, and I will quickly talk to you about Southside Market and barbecue. Attention, folks in the business of barbecue. First, a little history here. Established in 1882, Southside Market Barbecue, the oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They've been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. They offer premium Central Texas barbecue products. Flow smoked over real Texas post oak wood. Shipping, distributing, manufacturing sausages for companies across the U.S. From food trucks to multi-chain restaurants, Southside Sausage can be on your menu too. All meats processed in the on-site USDA-inspected facility. They're a trusted partner with a focus on quality and authenticity. you got wholesale options available, shipping nationwide via FedEx, also through food service distribution via Cisco, U.S. Foods, and Martin Foods. They have co-packaging capabilities from research and development to package completion. They can follow your recipe, or they can help you develop something brand new. And then this thing that I'm a real big fan of, private label opportunities. What does that mean? Well, if you are a fan of Southside Market, you love their beef sausage or their cheddar jalapeno sausage, and you have a store or a food truck and you want to sell it as your own, just contact Southside Market. They'll put your logo on it. It's their stuff, and you know it's going to be good. It's just rebranded as yours. It's private label. Yeah. Head on over to SouthsideMarket.com. That's SouthsideMarket.com. Check out all there is to buy and ask questions. And if you're going to be buying, use coupon code BBQ Central, all one word lowercase. That's BBQ Central for 10% off all the online orders. And that's code BBQ Central at SouthsideMarket.com.
More Just Prowls when we come back. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information. You can also purchase and see all the flavors that they have. If you prefer, you can buy it from Amazon.com as well. Don't forget to download the free app, CookinPellets.com, C-O-O-K-I-N, CookinPellets.com. All right, rejoined by Jess Priles. Appreciate you hanging with me through the break there, Jeff. Uh, Absolutely. A couple of different things that we can get to at here. So there has been a lot of talk over the last 18, 20 months. I mean, it took off like a house of fire, probably closed to 17, rolling into 18. Might have tapered a little bit through the year last year. And that's uh, sous vide cooking. I know you're not necessarily a, a huge user of that but uh, i mean do you appreciate the appliance or do you just not really uh, fanboy out to that whole idea of cooking stuff that way um i think it's really cool that such an advanced technique is available for people to use in their kitchens and like in a home environment um i so personally i didn't want to give up counter space to, to right. a sous vide machine that was yeah. part of it but um more so i've had sous vide in restaurant settings I, I think you can go overboard with it um i've had especially chicken which has just been denatured to the point where it nearly feels like a wet sponge that's lost its ability to spring back um it, it kind of unappealing in the same way that I will choose an upper choice steak, sometimes over a prime or over a wagyu, I like the toothsomeness of meat for me personally. So, and I, I never ordered tenderloin. That's a great example. That to me mm. is just too, it's nearly too tender. Yep. So, um, for my palate, I, you know, I'm not tremendously. I wouldn't use it enough. Uh, there's probably applications, especially some of the um, tougher cuts of the deer, like some roast, that it would be phenomenal of on. Um, and in, in some extent, I you know I kind of should have one just because I should be experimenting with all of the all of the tools. Um, but I also think that they it's nearly like you know there are certain kind of cult cookers that come out or or there was an, a thing called the Thermomix in Australia, which is kind of like the Vitamix. And everyone was like, oh, buy the Thermomix cookbook. And it's one of those things. Like if you sous vide, you will find sous vide websites and get on board the sous vide train. But I will say this, the Hardcore Carnivore Black, which is my charcoal-based um, steak seasoning, is like crushing it in the sous vide community. Because one of the issues with sous vide, you don't get any any browning or color or crust right so a lot of folks are using it to create that that look um and keep their steak you know perfectly sous vide tender so let's transition out of sous vide into barbecue pits um i was going to ask you what you thought 
the most popular barbecue pit is, but that seems like a a, a pretty you know narrow question. You're going to have your opinion. Everybody else is going to have uh, their own opinion on what the most popular is, and it's going to be a little more uh, personally biased, I suppose. So let me take it down a, a different direction. Let's talk <laughs> specifically about pellet cookers. Um, obviously, Traeger has been the name that has been synonymous with pellet cookers ever since the beginning. But once they lost the patent and then everybody else started coming to the market, I mean, you now have a number of other, you know, pretty decent name brand players out there and pellet cookers in general becoming more well known, more than they ever have in the past. So what's your take on pellet cookers? And do you see this market as one that will continue on the growing trend over the next two, three, four years? Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to continue to be huge. Um, I don't personally cook on a pellet cooker. Um, the company that makes my offset pits and spits are the first one making them in Texas. And I know Ryan, the owner tells me all the time how it's just blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not literally. Cause I had that happen to <laughs> friend, um, other brand model, <laughs> which is the issue when you're working with, you know, electronics and, and things get stuck and, and there, you know, they can be expensive to run, et cetera, et cetera. But what they offer in convenience for the here and now, like you, you, no argument can be made against that. So for me personally, the best barbecue I think comes off an offset cooker. Um, it's the only cooker that runs entirely off like large format wood smoke rather than a smolder. Um, but you know, without short attention spans these days, you can, I can see why they're incredibly popular and not everyone wants to be like, I'm going to open up a new barbecue joint. Look at me cooking with wood. Like that's me. That's my pride. I definitely think if you want to consider yourself a pit master or you want to consider yourself a live fire expert Mm -hmm. cook, you need to understand how fire works and you don't understand how fire works when all you're doing is, is flicking a switch. Um, so I think, you know, you look at people like Matt Pittman, Matt knows how to cook on an offset cooker. You know, he's paid his dues. He knows how fire runs. So he's running with Traeger right now. And, and he, you put him in front of anything, he can cook on anything. So um, I think it's kind of the same thing. But if all you're looking for is like, you know, really decent barbecue with really little effort um, in, in your yard, rock and roll on the pellet cookers. I think that there's a little bit to go. I think that that whole industry has been afforded a little bit of leeway in terms of them being called grills. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, until there's a live fire and a live sear, I understand that I can put a skillet in them and they can get really hot and I can sear that way. But then that's no different to cooking something, you know, on the stovetop in the kitchen. You know, it's a little bit of a stretch. So I, I think that for the convenience they offer you for smoked meats and all kinds of smoke products and, and um, just getting out there and giving it a shot, uh, they are going to continue to grow in popularity. But I don't think that despite the kind of attachments and, and things that they're trying to create, that they can completely replace a grill. And if you're really a grilling or cooking enthusiast, you should probably have a couple of different items anyway. You know, I've got a, a, a gas um, flat top that I cook burgers on. Like it's just a complete cast iron flat top grill. 
I've got a chef's fire pit that Pits and Spits built for me that like I have to light a whole wood fire to get it going. I've got a PK grill that I do most of my charcoal grilling in. And of course, I have my offset smoker and, and I've got a couple other grills that have been given to me over the years. So if you're really an enthusiast, you will own multiple units. If you're someone who is um, into you know, some light cooking at home or, or, or just wants to produce nice barbecue or, or, you know, wants to keep it simple or you have space limitations, that's when you can look at one unit. That's why something like Big Green Egg was in, insanely popular. Um, and I think that's why pellet cookers are getting really popular and staying there too. Well, I think that a lot of the pellet cooker companies have used the term specifically grill because that resonates more with the majority of folks that cook in the backyard. People in the backyard already have a gas grill or a charcoal grill. So when you call this a wood pellet grill, that's something that they can wrap their head around, which leads to the success and the growth of the market. Where if you called it a wood pellet barbecue pit or barbecue cooker, that might not be as appealing or it might not be as well known as some of the other, as the term grill would be. So they latch on to that. But I certainly agree. And I've told everybody that I've recommended a wood cooker to or a pellet cooker to, if you're going to grill on it most of the time, then this isn't what you want. You want to go out and get a grill. You can get to 450 degrees, but it's like you're putting something in the oven. You're not getting that direct flame or something that like you would get with a grill. So I certainly... Uh, agree with what you're saying there. And, and I agree. I think there's going to be uh, quite a bit of more popularity going into that segment as well. And I do have a wood burner and I love it when I have the time. That's all I want to do is throw sticks because I truly believe that nothing tastes better coming out of uh, barbecue wise uh, out of a wood burning pit. It's absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. All right. So you are a personality. You are a business owner, obviously with Hardcore Carnivore. Uh, part of the business, obviously, you do classes and stuff. I think you have a sold-out class coming up in a week and a half in Texas. And then the other side of business, of course, is that rub thing that you have going on. So you have three successful <laughs> rubs that are out now, the black, the red, the amplify. Four. 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 Oh, camo, too. Right. Sorry about that. Any yeah. Is there anything new on the rub front, or have we kind of run the, the limit of where Jess wants to be with rubs right now? Um, there, is, there is, there's actually a new rub coming out mm. in about two weeks time and no one knows that until right now. <laughs> um, I can't tell you any more about it, but there is another one coming and it's quite different and it's up my first collab rub. That's all mm. I'll say. It's very exciting. Um, but I definitely, I, I have always said since the beginning that if you look at all the rubs that I have out now, they're all very different to each other. Um, they all serve a purpose, but it's not all just like, oh, look, another paprika based rub that's all purpose with a lot of sugar in it because everyone likes sweet, you know? Um, so I, I, I think I may be nearing the end of, uh, you don't want to start cannibalizing your own business and putting, putting too much stuff out. It may be time to diversify into other products, but at the same time, every time I talk about new products, someone's like, do a spicy version, do a Cajun version, do this, do that. And I'm always shocked because it's like, well, you know, there's so many great Cajun rubs out there. It's like, why do you need another one for me? But people like exploring that stuff. So who, go figure. So would there ever be a time for as dominated as the rub market is, and certainly you have a niche and you're able to exploit it and be successful at it, do you see a time where 
you would see a hardcore carnivore sauce coming from you? Um, potentially to be honest with you, like, I, I mean, I've got sauce recipes that I would love to start playing around with. It's more of a logistical decision at this point. Um, it's very different getting into what they call wet manufacturing instead of dry manufacturing. Um, so that, that's really where it's at. But, you know, I get, I guess part of the thing is this, when I, before I started doing classes or before I started, you know, doing some events, did hot luck Aaron Franklin did in Austin last year and, and a few others, people didn't ever have the opportunity to try my food in person. So the closest they could come was to buy my seasoning because that was what my palate liked mm-hmm. in the bottle. And I think that it says something. It's not just like, oh, man, you know, I love your branding. I love your name. Like, the reason that this rub is so popular is the way it tastes. And then the next one for the same reason and so on and so forth. And camo, which is the one, the forgotten one, which is intended for game and lamb. I've got folks using that on beef, using that on chicken, um, grilling with dad on Instagram. He's one of my influencers, one of the hardcore carnivore cork routine. He's using it a lot on pork. So I think what it is, is that people are like, yo, I like where your palate is at and I like the things that you're tasting and putting out. So I want to see what your version of, you know, Cajun rub sauce, et cetera, et cetera is. So I do understand it from that perspective, but, um, I will only put things out if I completely believe in them. It's not just about rolling them out for the sake of like, Oh, you know what? I feel like we're coming into grill season you know, let's let's get on. Let's look at the numbers and see what we can do. Because even if we sell this many, you know, or let's do an Easter version, or let's, you know, it's all everything that I've put out has been put out because I believe that it's the best thing to put on your meat, not because I see an opportunity in the market. So, so let me follow up on that. that you mm-hmm. you had hardcore carnivore. The book is out. This is the time of year where you're going to see, you know, whatever the new run of grilling and barbecue books coming out are going to be over the next two, three, four weeks, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Are you considering another book or are you good right now? I'm pretty good right now. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening. I, I actually, um, we just kind of announced it, uh, recently, but I'm the spokesperson for Lone Star Beer now. Um, and so that's that's a that's a multi year deal. We got a lot we got a lot of fun projects in the works and doing a lot of stuff with them. So that's taking up a bunch of time. Um, I know we're going to talk about knives too. I'm doing some stuff with Gerber. I love and let me make clear this is the knife company, not the baby food. Right. I love being able to work with them. Their products are just sick, and we're we're actually at the very very infancy stage of of potentially designing some meat knives too. I would definitely consider working on another book, but um, I would also, you know, same thing as the rubs. I would want to make sure that I'm coming to market and ready to come out with an idea that is useful, not just because I think I could sell book two, you know, and there's a reason that, you know, I'm in, I'm in multiple continents with this, with this rub and, you know, X amount of stores over the United States and, and, still have fans who buy the book over and over again, it's because it's not a one and done, you know, it's not a, Hey, I have got a name for myself. So here's a blip on the radar. It's, 
hey, I think this is a really good book. You, you know, I'm going to tell my friend about it and he might buy it too. Or, hey, I'm going to take this bottle of rub over to my friends because I really like it and then they'll take it from there. So I think that putting out quality products, it may be kind of what they call the long play, but it'll always rise to the top. No doubt. Uh, all right, so we got a couple minutes left and let's go ahead and uh, rotate back to what you were just talking about uh, when it comes to knives. Somebody wanted me to ask you what the best knife to, I guess for lack of a better term, slice or dress or gut out a, a deer or a boar or whatever it is you've uh, hunted or harvested out in the wild. So I, um, that's a great question. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of folks have what we call an everyday carry, which is basically a pocket knife. So what they carry around with them all the time. And oftentimes that'll be a knife that folds in on itself. I always recommend a fixed blade knife for hunting. I use a Gator Premium, um, the Gerber Gator Premium hunting knife. The reason that I like a fixed blade for that is because when you have something that folds in on itself, it means you have a lot of nooks and crannies. Mm. And when you are gutting a deer, a hog, whatever it may be, there's a lot of crud flying around. And it's the best way to make sure the best way to make sure that you're cleaning your knife to the best of your ability is by making sure there's just no corners and bits and pieces where stuff can get in. Um, the knife that I use that Gator that Gator Premium has a, a you know a non-slip um, grip to it as well. It's got a really great shape to the blade as well, so I can actually use it for skinning. Usually, you need to swap over to kind of a more delicate blade to do that but this one does it all for me. So from everything from, um, I got taught to hunt by the Bendeley family here in Texas. And they taught me that, you know, when, after a safe amount of time of dispatching the animal, you should go over and try and bleed it out. So it's big enough to cut the, to, to cut the jugular and, and have it bleed out. Um, it's big enough to then use for skinning. It really is an all purpose. Once I finished using a, a blade like that, like a nice fixed blade hunting knife, and I've quartered the animal, um, that's when I swapped to, uh, it's called a vital, a Gerber vital blade. So it, it's basically like a scalpel with a replaceable blade. I use that and I use a boning knife. And, that, and I get into fine detail. That's when it becomes more like butchery. So I want... Um, the little scalpel knife or the vital. And I actually have that on, on my website too, on hardcore carnivore. That's how strongly I believe in it. I started selling it. Um, but it, first of all, when you're out of the field or if you're, I'm not great at sharpening knives, um, having something that you can just like discard the blunt blade and switch out super quickly to a nice razor sharp one is super duper helpful. Mm. But this, smallness of it, especially if you want to start breaking down those muscles, and especially anyone who's tried to process their own deer will know what a giant pain in the butt the silver skin is and how that, that white kind of film can form over the meat the longer it's exposed to the air. So you want to get in there with a really fine blade because you don't want to sacrifice the meat. You just want to get rid of the silver skin. So all in all for me, um, it, it's I, I, three kind of ride-or-die knives in my hunting kit. The one fixed blade to do the heavy lifting, um, a boning knife. I always try and have a boning knife to also take out the um, the back strap. If you think about it, like butchers use boning knives for exactly the same thing. We really should be using a flexible 
blade knife to do that because we need to curve around the ribs to get that muscle out. Um, and then uh, that scalpel blade, the vital, the Gerber vital as well. Those are those are the three I would recommend. And if you've got those, you're pretty set with anything that comes your way. Is that like Gerber.com or GerberKnives.com or what's the website there? Um, it's Ger- Gerber Gear. Yeah, okay. Gerber Gear. It's on Amazon. It's in all big, you know, hunting and fishing retailers. The vital is on HardcoreCarnivore.com and. Uh, you know, their their stuff is super affordable, which is really really nice, and it's just it's just good quality stuff. Like, I don't I don't you know me, Greg. You've known me a long time. I don't talk about stuff unless I actually use it and believe in it. You know that I knock back a bunch of stuff that other people would be happy to take and yep. say, yeah, I'll take that two hundred bucks to talk about this pos. <laughs> That's not me. Uh, Jess Priles is Hardcore Carnivore, hardcorecarnivore.com, jessprials.com, or websites at Jess Priles on the uh, handles for social media. And we have covered it all tonight. Uh, Jess Priles, certainly appreciate you coming on and pulling two segments as always. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You got it. There she is. Jess Priles carrying the first hour and doing it easily. And I think we covered it all. We talked about high-end steakhouses. We talked about gutting deers and boars and knives and sauces and rubs. A whole bunch of stuff. Fabulous. All right. Thanks again to Jess Priles. For the first hour, if you missed it, don't worry. You're going to get it in podcast uh, tomorrow. First hour is tomorrow. Let me talk to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru. They've always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature controllers. Easily choose your cooking time and set that temperature. Let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef and a barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill. You can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. Consistency, that's what we like. Visit the website, bbqguru.com, or call them 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. If you have a controller already and you get the monolith, just hook it right up to the fan. Fan's built in. Beautiful. Great number of accessories, so you don't have to break the bank to get it all set up and out of the box. BBQGuru.com, 800-288-GURU. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com if you want to jump in. Thanks again to Just Priles for joining me the last two segments. If you missed it, as I had said, coming out on break there, get it on podcast. First hour is tomorrow. Second hour is Thursday. Best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less on Friday, every Friday. JustPriles.com. Great recipes there, by the way, if you are somebody who is constantly looking for unique recipes, but easy and executable recipes, JustPriles.com is the website you want to check it out. If you're looking more for her products, like the rubs, some of the other gear, like the uh, the meat fork, 
see what else she's up to. HardcoreCarnivore.com. The shirts, of course. Hardcore Carnivore. Hats. The gear, as it were. All right, we're pointing to the second hour. Refresh libations. Meet me back in two and two. Stick around. Be right back. 